0: Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Have you ever thought about the words that Jesus said while He's hanging on the cross? You're probably familiar with a lot of them, but did you realize that each of those words has context, context that we American Christians don't understand? Well, today my good friend Paul Stippick is going to walk us through the words of Jesus on the cross and help us discover what the context of the cross reveals to us today.
1: It is so good to be back with you all. It has been quite a bit of time since I've seen your beautiful faces. In fact, as I was looking up some stuff, I saw that it's been almost a year to the day since I've actually been, been here with you guys, people to have some conversations, to be able to hang out for just a brief moment, obviously with masks on and social distancing protocols in place. But uh, one, thing, one thing that's kind of strange, though, is I was going again, t- thinking about this talk and everything. I was like, what was the last time I was supposed to speak? And it was, it was actually supposed to be mid, mid-late March is the last time I was supposed to speak. And I said, what? Why wasn't it that I couldn't do it? COVID, that's right, COVID-19 was the reason why it changed my life, it changed your life, it changed the lives of every single person in the world. It literally changed the way we do everything. And so today we're going to be we're be talking about... Um, We're going to talk about Jesus on the cross, that he was brutally murdered and slaughtered on a cross, all for us and for our sins, and we're going to get to that point, we're going to get to that story in just a second, but before I do, I have a question, and so I'm going to need full-on participation, so, you know, nudge your neighbor, do whatever you need, those watching at home, again, nudge the people you're watching this with, how many of you all have ever had a bad day? Yeah, okay, good. I didn't mean to ask it a second time. I guess maybe the first service they were asleep, but again, so how many of us have had a bad day? I think it's safe to say that every single person in this room has had a bad day. And if you're looking around, when I asked that question and someone wasn't, they're lying to themselves and to you. But let me give you some ideas just in case you're kind of thinking, what what does he mean by this? Well, maybe it's something simple as a bad hair day. Now, I just got my hair did this past Friday knowing that I was going to be up here in front of you, so I know that's not an issue for me, okay? Okay, I got you. Maybe it's a little bit more serious. Maybe you're a student at school or in university and you just took a test and you failed it. Maybe though it's a little bit more serious. Maybe you were driving down the street last month and all of a sudden you got into an accident. Or maybe, just maybe it's a little bit more serious than that and this bad day is you Crying into your spouse's arms because every single option that you've tried, whether adoption or otherwise, you can't have a child. Or maybe it started back in March where this disease turned into a pandemic and it changed the way we do everything. Maybe someone passed away recently from COVID and you couldn't even go to their funeral because of the social distancing protocols. Maybe COVID has made you be so isolated that in your mind, all you can think about are thoughts of suicide and you're wondering and figuring out how can you escape this awful and miserable place. All of us have bad days and it is 100% okay and you should mourn and grieve when you have those bad days. But there is a hope, and that is the hope that we are talking about today. It is the hope that is shown to us as Jesus, again, was slaughtered and murdered for us on a cross, sacrificing his life so that we could have hope. Spoiler alert, the first point that I want to bring to you is the context of the cross brings hope. The context of the cross, it brings hope. Before we go any further, before we look at how Jesus even got to be hanging on the cross Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for allowing us to be here. I pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to hear from you, to hear from your wisdom, that you would honestly remove me from this place, God, and speak and act. Through me, Father, I pray that you would begin to shape our minds and our hearts and begin to start making us uncomfortable as we're listening to your word, as it starts to spark these questions of how can we step into humanity? How can we be an apprentice of Christ and live out what you have called us to live out? Amen. So again, we're focusing on Jesus on the cross. And so eventually we'll get to Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. But to how we even got to that place, I want to want to paint the picture of how Jesus got to be on the cross. And it was these religious leaders. They started to see that their power was eroding from them. They started to see that every day they had less and less rule, less and less authority. And so they concocted this plan where they knew that they needed to murder Christ. And so eventually they got a hold of Christ. They arrested him and they put him in front of religious leaders and political leaders. And where Jesus at some point was hit and punched, spit upon, belittled, mocked. And even further than that, they took a a crown of thorns and jammed it onto his head, causing these thorns to pierce into his flesh. And as blood started to run down his face, they continued to smack him, they continued to punch him, they continued to mock and belittle him, just absolutely degrading his very existence. And then it got a little bit worse because the Roman official took a whip and scourged him. And what that means is as he would whip him, at the very end of that whip, there were shards of bone and and pottery Rocks and all sorts of trash So that when they would whip These shards would latch onto the flesh Of the person being whipped Jesus in this instance And as they would rip that whip Away chunks of flesh Would be removed with it It would rip out muscle It would sever nerves And cause excruciating pain And it wasn't over Then because they allowed Jesus The honor and privilege To carry his own cross on the back And with each aching step that he took It would shift On the spots on his back that are now open and festering wounds and he would be in such agonizing pain that they had to find someone on the side of the road to carry the cross to the top of the hill but it wasn't over just yet because eventually they splayed Jesus out on the cross and they put nails through his hands and nails through his feet and as they rose the cross to be in the hole that they had dug for it it slammed down and all of Jesus's weight came crashing down and in that moment agonizing pain overtook his body. And with each breath, it felt like he was swallowing and breathing in fire as he was writhing in pain. That is where we find Jesus. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, let's read it. In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And honestly, up until recently, I always thought when I read this verse that Jesus was literally calling out to God, saying, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you allowed me to take this cup from you? Why have you allowed me to experience this wrath? Why have you allowed me to die like this? Why, God, why? But that wasn't the case. Jesus knew where he was. He knew who was surrounding him. And so when he said these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was calling the Israelites, the Jewish people of that day, who would have been going to temple on the regular and who would have been studying the scripture and who would have been studying the Psalms. He was calling them to remember Psalms chapter 22. We're going to be reading through that. But Jesus knows that he is calling the people that were right around him to remember these scriptures. And as he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm sure it's sparking in people's minds. Wait, this is a psalm that David wrote, a psalm that he wrote over a thousand years ago. And they would start saying it, and they would see in their mind, they'd start saying these words and repeating it. So let's read Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them to you, they cried out and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. Jesus is calling the Israelites, the Jewish people that would have been around him, and even us on this day, to remember that there is this ebb and flow to life that God is always with us. No matter the incredibly high highs that we're experiencing, or no matter the gut-wrenching, God-awful, hellish lows that we are in, no matter if we are crying into our spouse's arms because we can't have any children, no matter if COVID has completely wrecked you and isolated you, no matter if you are experiencing a pain with your wife because she has once again been diagnosed with cancer for the umpteenth time, and you are praying and saying, God, why are you letting us experience this? Why are you calling us to this storyline? God, why can't you be with us? Jesus, in this moment, is reminding us that he is there. Verse six. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast out from from birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast Lots, Jesus is calling the Israelites, the Jewish people who would have been around them, us today to remember this scripture. And it's amazing. As I said, David wrote this psalm over a thousand years ago. And Jesus is reminding them as he is uttering these words to the people next to him, as they are all in congregation saying and mumbling these to themselves to remember the hope that God is always present. When they get to these verses, they, it's like an aha moment that God. Has allowed his son to come and die on a cross, and he is fulfilling prophecy. David wrote this scripture around 1000 BC, but the Persians didn't invent crucifixion until around 400 to 300 BC, and then the Romans later perfecting it. So as these verses are coming to people's minds, he is once again reminding that I am fulfilling this prophecy. Remember when they mocked me. Remember when they just literally divided my clothes and they cast lots. Remember as they pierced my hands. Remember as my my bones are coming out of joint as I am sagging under the weight because I can't Hold myself up anymore. Remember, as I'm breathing with every breath, it feels like fire inside my lungs. Remember that I am answering Scripture because I am here with you always. I have been and am today and will be forever. Because again, the context of the cross brings hope. Verse 19: But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild ox. And I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and he has not hidden his face from him but has heard when he cried to him, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I'll perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Take heart for I am king. Take heart because the context of the cross brings hope. Take heart because it doesn't end on a hill. It doesn't end on a cross. In fact, the crucifixion, the day that it happened, not so much a bad day because on that day, Jesus' blood ran red. It ran down that cross and it covered every single sin that we have ever had and will ever do. Jesus dying on the cross, rising again from the grave three days later. Hope is what the context of the the cross brings us. Yes, you can clap for that, absolutely. So take heart. Verse 27 All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him, shall bow all who go down to dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it that he has conquered the grave the context of the cross brings hope and that is the foundation for absolutely everything and it brings us hope because of the love that brought Jesus to the cross because of the love that ran down that cross because of the love that covers our sins but it doesn't stop there in Luke chapter 23 verse 46 we get to hear Jesus' last words so again Jesus would have been hanging on this cross for hours at this point his bones becoming out of joint every breath feeling like fire in his lungs and he says this last, these, some of these last few words then Jesus, in verse 46, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And once again, he is calling the Jewish people, the Israelites that would have been around him at the cross, to remember the scripture, to remember Psalms chapter 31, specifically verse 5. But Jesus says, He is being sacrificed on a cross for us is once again pulling us back into this beautiful ebb and flow that is life, that no matter the highs, no matter the lows, God is there with us. He is ever present. So Psalms chapter 31, verse 1, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame in your righteousness. Deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Remember, no matter the highs, no matter these gut-wrenching lows, that God is there with us. He is our hope. He is our everything. And in verse 5, Jesus In verse 5, what we're about to read, Jesus is bringing into context something so amazing, something so unbelievable, yet a lot of us have missed it. Psalms 31, verse 5, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Verse 5, again, it says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. But we just read in Luke 23, 46, He said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And Jesus added that one word, Father, for our sake. And in the context of the scripture, it's Father as an Abba, Father, this deep, incredible relationship that he has with his heavenly Father that Jesus has with God. He is saying, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And the second point that I want to bring up from this is that the context of the cross shows us our identity the context of the cross shows us our identity. When Jesus utters the word Father, he is saying to everyone around him that he knows who he is, and he knows whose he is. He understands that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the amazing, the mighty, the incredible healer, the mighty warrior, the, the warrior who has robes that are dipped in blood, he is one bad dude. He is a good and incredible king. And he is reminding us that if we accept him and what he sacrificed his life on a cross for, if we accept Jesus, then we become sons and daughters of the king of kings. And if we are sons and daughters of the king of kings, then we are royalty. In fact, in Psalms 139, it talks about how Jesus formed each and every single one of us in our mother's wombs, and the thought that He had, the thoughts that He has about us outnumber the grains of sand, and these thoughts are so amazing, so beautiful that they would make us blush, that we would probably have to leave the room because we wouldn't know what to do because they're just so good and kind and gracious, that we wouldn't know how to respond to them. those thoughts outnumber the grains of sand in this entire world this is the king that let his blood run red for you and for me the context of the cross brings hope the context of the cross shows us our identity the context of the the context of the cross shows us that love conquers all And the beautiful thing is, as we accept this hope, we accept this identity, we accept this love so much and so easily for ourselves. But we don't do such a good job when it comes to letting that same hope, that same identity, that same love, and sharing that and, and acting like that towards those brothers and sisters who are next to us. We love the gospel truth for ourselves. We do an awful job of presenting it and living it out at times to those that are around us. The gospel is perfect. Hear this. Understand this. The gospel is perfect. The gospel is love. The gospel, Jesus' life, is exactly what saves us and brings us into eternity with him. So that's not the issue. That's not the thing that I'm saying. It's us as Christ's followers. And this isn't me blaming you. This isn't me saying, you guys are doing this. This is me saying, this is how I live. This is me recognizing that in myself and coming to before you humbly to say, Hey, Jesus has been working some amazing things in me these past six, seven months, and I fully believe has allowed me to experience what probably would have taken me two to three years in six to seven months because of how intently He has been working, molding, shifting, and shaping me. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1. In nine, And it's what Paul was writing to the city of Corinth, the church that was in Corinth. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we'll get to that in just one moment. But now concerning food that is offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And let's, and let's jump down to verse 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. When Paul is talking about food, he is talking about the new believers that would have just come to Christ and just understood what would have just happened moments ago as a man was sacrificed for them on a cross. And so these new believers were weak in their faith. And so Paul says, yes, The food that is being offered to idols, these idols, these gods that mean nothing, is actually not bad for you. You could technically eat it, and it wouldn't do anything except for nourish your body. But because I know that you come from this way of offering this food to idols, that it may make you start to question your beliefs and what you're hearing. So I am choosing not to eat this food. I am choosing not to let this knowledge puff me up, but I'm letting the love of Christ build me up and build you up. And now for me... Personally, this real-life example is this. I've been married for almost 11 years. My wife has had to put up with Yeah, praise him, right? Exactly, and through 2020, right? So, it's, so my wife has had to put up with me for 11, almost 11 years. And I, I, know, I know one thing for sure, that if you're watching online or if you're here in this room and you're a spouse, you're like, yeah, Paul, that's not actually news to the wives in this room. We, we've been dealing with our spouses for a while. I get that. I understand that. So bear with me for taking 11 years to recognize this. And that is, for, for uh, I could just bring it back three years for this specific example. I have been doing everything in my power to consume as much knowledge on leadership and business and all things under the sun that would build me up personally. I was using this knowledge to try to get certain opportunities and what I realized is that it was pushing relationships away. What I was realizing is that it would puff me up for not even my own betterment, or for the betterment of anyone around me. I realized that this knowledge, I was using it, and it was creating these roadblocks, these stumbling blocks in front of people. But my wife, on the other hand, over four years ago, our daughter was born, and nine months into everything, we found out that she had life-threatening food allergies to eggs, nuts, tree nuts, and dairy. And it completely wrecked us. It's one of those bad days, and my wife grieved that for a long time because our lives are forever different and changed. But instead of letting the knowledge that she was gaining puff her up to feel like she could conquer this on her own, she allowed this knowledge to turn into love, and she has cultivated and created this amazing community She's allergy friendly mama online and she has been able to build this awesome community of fellow mothers specifically, but also there's fathers in there as well that reach out to her and that love what she posts because it's this community that is being created. That builds them up so that in their darkest of days when their kids have a reaction, they can turn to someone else who's been experiencing the same thing and they can find life and community together. And so like I said, we as Christ followers do a really good job of loving the gospel for ourselves, but when we start to live it out, when we start to act it, we start to put up stumbling blocks. We start to put up barriers between us and our fellow brothers and sisters. We're going to look at what I mean a little bit more specifically as we dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the second part, and in these scriptures, Paul gives us a very tough pill to swallow. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. And the right that Paul is specifically talking about is the right of an apostle that he has, but he is not using all the time. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, became as one under the law, though not being under the law. To the outside, that I might, forgive me. Verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Verse 21, to those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings here's the truth of the matter this has become an incredibly divisive symbol it's split up families, it's split up churches, it's split up friendships. It causes a general barrier that you just wanna give someone a hug, you wanna do more than just a fist bump or an elbow. The thing is, we let the knowledge of what we believe, we know whether, you know, studies and science show that you don't need to wear a mask, studies and science show that you need to wear a mask, we let this knowledge puff us up instead of taking the first step towards someone putting on a mask, taking down those barriers, and building that relationship. The third and final point that I want to bring up is this, that we don't need to be a stumbling block. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't let whatever knowledge you believe you have or they don't have be a stumbling block for you building that relationship. I mean, it's as simple as having conversations with someone, but honestly for me, I, I see the homeless person at the end of the exit, so I'm pulling off trying to get to work, and I see the homeless person and instead of being, hey, how are you doing? And here's some money, I roll out my window as fast as possible, and I lock the doors, and I look straight ahead. It's Me seeing someone of a different color who has an experience of racial discrimination, white supremacy, police brutality, and me completely ignoring those conversations or walking right around them instead of diving in, taking the first step into those relationships and saying, hey, I don't understand at all what you're going through, but I want to, I need to. Or maybe it's you knowing someone who would consider them part of the LGBTQ plus community. And instead... We put up as many roadblocks, as many stumbling blocks as possible before we would ever have to take a step to talk to that person. Maybe they're a Republican, maybe they're a Democrat, it doesn't matter. We put up as many absolute obstacles before we would talk about politics. And right now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, Paul, shouldn't that person come meet me? Halfway, Shouldn't that person start to think a little bit more like me if we're going to have a conversation? Shouldn't that person, you know, start maybe agreeing with what I say? Shouldn't they show me respect? Shouldn't they want to have the conversation with me? And to that, I submit this question. On the night of the Last Supper, who washed Jesus' feet? Because when I read the scriptures, I see Jesus taking the first step. I see Jesus with washing his disciples' feet, saying, remember, 33 years ago, instead of coming as your Lord and Savior with chariots of fire and legions of angels, I chose to come into humanity, into the pathetic form of a baby so that I could have 33 years of experiences with you so that my death on a cross would mean something. So for those of us who ever have the thought, why shouldn't they come towards me? Remember this question, who washed Jesus' feet on the night of the Last Supper? I want to end with two questions for you all. The first one is this. How are you being a stumbling block? How are you being a stumbling block? It could be as something as simple as what it is for me. A lot of the times my anger or attitude or response towards my wife and kids and even the community that I find myself in is anything but Christ-centered. And so for me, I'm a stumbling block to my kids experiencing the love of Christ at times just because something didn't go my way. But how are you being a stumbling block? And the second question is this. If Jesus were you, and this isn't what would Jesus do. It's not that at all. This is if Jesus were you, so he had your skills, your abilities, your talents, your money, your home, your skin color, What stumbling blocks would he remove? And what is the next step that he would take?
0: Hey, I would love for you to join us in one of our three Christmas Eve services on December the 24th at The Orchard Church. We have two regular services at four and six and a higher risk service at 2 p.m. that day all the details are available at forgilmer.com that's f-o-r-g-i-l-m-e-r forgilmer.com you can find out all about it and reserve your seat there for one of our two regular services or our higher risk service at 2 p.m we've all had to miss out on so many things this year but don't miss out on celebrating christmas join us on christmas eve as we celebrate the arrival of jesus and worship him together. Merry Christmas.